welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. At this time of the year, this summer, we take, well, as Don said, although this is the summer series, he wants to retitle it, When is the Summer Eventually Gonna Come series? And I think that's a bit true, isn't it? Very true. We, we take this opportunity provided by the summer, folks away, folks on holiday, uh, to do something different, to uh, look at scripture, to look at God's word from a different perspective, and this year is no difference. The, over the years, the last few years, we've taken films and had a look at them from a perspective of what we've learned from a secular film, something from a book that's a secular book and meant to uh, be secular in its intention, and we've seen what we've learned through those situations about God. I remember a couple of years ago, we took the film Taken. Those of you seen the film Taken? And we looked at the passion of a father's heart. We looked at saving Private Ryan and the, the, the value of an individual. And so this year, through September, uh, through, September through uh, January and the beginning of uh, February, we're going to look at the morning at revivals and uh, what we can learn from them. Don was absolutely outstanding. He's, he's not here tonight. He's at a family celebration, but he was absolutely outstanding this morning on the purpose and the role and the impact of revivals. If I can encourage you to take time to, to listen to the podcast, please do. In the evenings, for, the next, for four out of the five, we're going to be looking at the theme of big messages from little books, big messages from little books. We're going to be looking at those books at the end of the Old Testament and the end of the New Testament that sometimes are just one chapter or maybe two or the very most three, and you don't often hear sermons around them. So we've asked our speakers to speak on to, in those, uh, from those books, and tonight we're going to be speaking from Philemon, I know that in weeks to come we're going to speak from Haggai to John, maybe Obadiah, but big messages from little books. And so really we're going to have a quick overview of Philemon the privilege of then sharing some things that I feel come out of that, and uh, we'll just leave that with you. The, the first place that I want to start is the whole pronunciation of Philemon. You may know it different to what I do. Some of you may say Philemon, some may say Philemon. I'm speaking, so I'm saying Philemon. <laughs> Sorry. If that puts you off, well, let's, let's just uh, put it down to my Welshness. But I, I was always being raised to call it Philemon. So if I'm wrong, please don't come and see me at the end, but uh, that's what we're going to do. So the, it's only about 25 verses long, so I'm going to read all of it this evening. So, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, 
whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my own very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not, might not be by compulsion but out of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Articus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Christ Jesus be with your spirit. As we regularly stress, culture and context are incredibly important to Scripture. You cannot really take any scripture out of context and make it say what you want to say. Culture and context is vital. And if it can say it's vital for the whole of scripture, it's even more so here for the book of Philemon. If you don't understand the culture, if you don't understand the context, that's going to mean absolutely nothing at all. The background is that for more than two years, previous to this letter being written, during his third missionary journey, Paul ministered in Asia Minor, what we today call Turkey, and he was based at Ephesus. And this was one of Paul's most successful periods of being an apostle to the Gentiles. He saw many people saved, he saw healings, he saw people come to Christ like nothing else. And one, on one of the visits, or during this time, one of the people that was converted through his ministry was Philemon. And Philemon is from the city of Colossae, which is approximately 150 kilometers from Ephesus. This is a good little map that shows you the context of it. Down here at the bottom right, we have Jerusalem. We go then into, into Asia, Asia Minor, Turkey. Ephesus, number four, is where he was based for the best part of two years. Colossae is where, Philippi, uh, where Philemon is from. And Paul is writing this from way over there in Italy, in Rome. That is the context geographically of what is going on here. So Paul is writing back to Philemon. And there are three things that we're going to go through some really quick facts tonight in order to give an overview. But there are three things that we need to know about Philemon in order to get the context. First of all, he was a slave owner, which was very, very common in those days, but it's crucial to the understanding of this book. If you do not know that Philemon was a slave owner, you, just, you won't get the book at all. Slavery was an accepted economic and social reality in the Roman world, and the slaves belonged to their master. They had no rights at all. They were completely owned and did whatever the masters did. Philemon was a man of wealth, 
and of social standing. Secondly, it is clear that Philemon and Paul were big friends. They, had a, they were close friends. He says about having a, my, my, my bond servant, my fellow brother, the intimacy of the language of this is quite, quite close, really. One writer says the tone of the letter is one of warm, personal friendship rather than apostolic authority. We see in different places that Paul puts his apostolic hat on and says, this is it, this is what God is saying, this is where we're at. But here, this Philemon, the letter to Philemon is completely different. It's, it's, it's intimate, this closeness, this friendship, and he's appealing to him. See, Philemon had come to Christ through the ministry of Paul. And Paul is saying, I have a tough request, but hey, you're my friend, so I feel I can do it. And thirdly, the church of Colossae met in the home of Philemon and his wife. And thus the implication is that he is one of the leaders of the church, therefore underlining the importance of who he was. Philemon was a huge influential player in the social, economic, financial, and Christian world of the day. That's the background. And the story goes like this. Paul is in prison in Rome, and he writes this letter on behalf of Onesimus, who is a runaway slave and has wronged his owner. And you never guess, the owner was Philemon. So Onesimus has done something wrong. He's run away from Colossae, and he ends up here in Rome. And Paul's writing a letter on his behalf. And the actual details of Onesimus' wrongdoings are quite unclear in some ways, but it is assumed by many scholars because it says in verse 18, if he owes you anything, then charge it to me, that it was something to do with some fraud or some stealing of money or just something wrong in the whole area of finance. But Paul was writing on his behalf. It is unclear how Paul and Onesimus actually meet. To be honest, Onesimus could have been arrested because he was a runaway slave. He had a history probably of stealing, but he could well have been arrested and he could have ended up alongside Paul in prison and it could have been one of those godly coincidences. Or it could have been that Paul may, uh, Paul may well have been known to Onesimus and because Paul would have visited the, the house of his master back there in Colossae, and because Onesimus was in Rome and he'd probably never been before, some scholars believe that he may have sought him out and he may have gone to see him in prison because he would have known him from previous years. Really, it is unclear. But we do know that after the meeting, Onesimus becomes a believer, and a real affection and a bond develops between the two men. And Paul is delighted to have this new friend with him in Rome. And that clearly comes across in the writing. However, Paul considered it better to send him back to Philemon with the aim of seeking reconciliation between them as Christian brothers. So the 18th book of the New Testament, which we call Philemon, is a letter written, on behalf, written by Paul on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon, seeking reconciliation, seeking the fact that he can maybe even go back to work for his master, realizing that this slave has absolutely no rights, that Philemon could demand his death, but he writes to him because he is now a fellow believer. These two guys are diametrically opposed as you could ever come across. The only thing that they have really is that they are now two brothers in Christ. And Paul is saying, guys, you've got to work it out. You have got to work it out. That forgiveness 
be given, that there be a flow of forgiveness, that the wronged and the wrongdoer work it through, and that the gospel is seen in action. So, having seen something of a very brief context of this book, and I really would encourage you to, to read around it. It is fascinating to go into the history, to go into the context and what people say. I want us to see what, in the Greek, of 335 words, what are the four big messages that really impact me and others that come out of this? And I just want to share those with you. First of all, Philemon teaches that God's revelation and involvement in humanity with you and I is deeply personal. There is something that, this is something that we need to remind ourselves regularly, that our God and Savior, I don't know what he does in heaven. I don't know if he has to run the world. I don't know if he has to run creation. I got no idea what he does. But he's, he's God. He's busy. He can do whatever he likes. He can do whatever he wants to. But despite all that, our God is interested deeply, personally, intimately with every single one of us. I was actually a little bit, well, fearful wouldn't be, the, wouldn't be the right word, but I was really a bit concerned, should I even mention this tonight? Because this is like Christian Life 101, isn't it? This is the Christian Life 101. But I don't know about you, but I know that sometimes I just need to hear again that my God is deeply, personally, intimately committed to every aspect of my life. That as he runs the universe, just allow me to say that, as he runs the universe on a daily basis, we are still passionately close to his heart and everything in it and everything that goes on in our lives. I was so, <laughs> so touched by, by Hannah when she said that when God wants to say, welcome back, come home. That's the, the, the love of a father who's got his arms out, out open and says, hey, come on. Welcome home. And as soon as she said that, I knew I was going to say this. That, that each and every one of us needs to know that despite the busyness of our lives, despite the distractions, despite the messes that we make, he is intimately and deeply passionate about our lives. In some ways, of, in the consequence of Paul writing this letter, we are seeing a different side to Paul himself. In works like Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, we see the lofty themes of the church like division, morality, marriage, divorce, spiritual gifts, communion, false teachers, the second coming, and where do you go when you start to look at the whole book of Romans? But here Paul is taking the time to address the trouble and the tribulations of two individuals and one family in the midst of all that is going on. And for me there, Philemon, the big message of it is, I mean, God is deeply, passionately interested in the personal. You know, I don't, maybe I'm just speaking to myself, but it's easy to forget that when there is so much going on in our lives and, and in the lives of those around us, that our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the creator of heaven and earth, is fanatically interested and excited about what goes on in your life. I need to be reminded of that, because sometimes I forget to talk to him about some of that stuff. And when I do, he doesn't seem to answer. And I can get discouraged. But Philemon is an incredible exercise in the study of the fact is that God is fanatically interested in our lives in every aspect. As I said, 
It's Christian Life 101. But what a good way to start the new year with the fact of the truth of these words. You know, the subtle lie of the enemy is this. Well, do you really want to bother God with that? Do you think he's really interested in, in that silly situation? That's the lie of the enemy. Or he wants to drag us down. But here we see that God is so personally committed to us that he takes time and he cares. Secondly, the power of forgiveness. This is one of those truths. Forgiveness is one of those truths that we all know but can make us uncomfortable. Because when we start to really examine our lives in light of what the Bible says about forgiveness, it can make us really uncomfortable. It really is biblical dynamite. In this story, on one side was Philemon, on the other side was Onesimus, the runaway slave who had fled his position, who had stolen from his master most likely and was now awaiting the consequence of his actions. You know, we have all been on both sides of such a relationship. We've all been the offender and we have all been the offended. We have all been the one who have got hurt and the one who did the hurting. We've all been the one who have taken this as personal. And we have all been those that have dismissed it as absolutely nothing at all. It's a familiar place, the call to forgive or needing to forgive. And I don't know about you, but I always only tend to remember when I've been offended. I seem to forget when I've said stuff that's offended other people. But forgiveness is a real challenge at, at, at every level. So now... We're going to have a scene probably a number of months after this is written that the two parties will be standing face to face and the letter is going to be read. I just, I don't know. Will they have read this, just the two of them? Okay, let's go and have this chat in the back room. Or is the church there? Who's there? We don't really know. All we know is that these two guys, they are believers, but they're not friends. They are clearly not friends. And they, they, have, they have a history with each other. Master and servant... Employer and employee, offended and offender, standing face to face. And what now needs to happen is forgiveness and reconciliation to take place. But if pride sneaks in, vengeful feelings take hold, if fear rules the day and hearts get hardened and minds get changed, it can go really, really wrong. And that's what happens to us when we have the need to forgive or to be forgiven or need to go to say to someone, I really have been an absolute idiot and I've offended you and you please, will you please forgive me? All those lies and all those things that can come in and play mental tricks. For many of us, the realm of forgiveness, it goes wrong with that step of forgiveness when I don't think I can forgive them. I don't think I can do it. And situations and relationships stay wrong. Sometimes we just can't Bring ourselves to forgive. You don't know how much I have been hurt. You don't know how much money you took from me in SMS. You don't know the trouble that you called. However, this is unequivocal throughout Scripture, but here also in Philemon, that there is a dual responsibility wherever we stand. Whether we need to forgive or need to ask for forgiveness, the only thing that we have to do is, the only thing that's non-negotiable is, we have to take action. To not to do anything is not biblical. It's a real challenge that comes through the Bible and through this, this letter about the whole area of forgiveness. I really love what Paul... Oops. Some people got really excited there. 
My kids were really, I shouldn't call them kids, but my kids were really pleased when I said that the Sunday night services was going to be shorter than normal. So that means I was preaching, so I'd be preaching shorter than, uh, shorter than normal, so they were really pleased about that, but I think I might upset them. You know, Paul is saying to Onesimus, just because you're forgiven by Jesus Christ, just because you've had your sins forgiven, just because you've come to the Lord, you still need to put relationships right. You still need to put relationships right. Just because you've, you've come to Christ and you've gone to Christ and said, I am so sorry that I said such and such or do such and such, that doesn't let you off. I find that an easier place to go in my life than actually to go to someone and say, I have been an absolute burke and I want to apologize. Being forgiven by Christ doesn't let you off putting it right with other people. The cross isn't somewhere to hide in those situations. Actually, the opposite is true. Because you have been forgiven, you need to go and put it right with your fellow brothers and sisters. One of the biggest issues, I didn't ask Jan or Sylvia or the other team members or the pastoral team what's the biggest issue they probably face. One of the biggest issues I face when I sit with people young, middle-aged, and not so young, is the incredible problem of anger. There are a lot of angry people in the world today. There are a lot of angry people in church who are really, really cross, really ticked off about something. And anger usually flows out of a lack of forgiveness or having been wronged. If I could... Mix my theology here. If I could wave a magic wand <laughs> and I could deal with one issue, it would be the problem of anger. And I'm going to say it. I think there are a lot of angry young people in the world today. Angry at everything and at peace with nothing. A lot of it is because if you're not saved, it's because... You're disconnected from God. There are a lot of people in church across the world sitting today, especially in the Western world, who are incredibly angry because they have not forgiven people. And until we learn to forgive, we will get more and more angry. And the problems will always be out there, when in reality, it's in here. <coughs> Anger leads to resentment. It leads to bitterness. You know, the enemy of our soul and our mind will attempt to play tricks with us from making us think that it doesn't really matter to what happens if the other person doesn't respond really well. Have you ever heard that? Well, I need to go and forgive them. What happens if they don't respond well? May I suggest you have no control over how someone else will respond. In fact, that's not your concern. The biblical imperative is that we go and seek forgiveness with that person and leave the results to God. However that person responds, in some ways, has nothing to do with you. You need to be a person who moves in forgiveness and seeks to bring reconciliation. Thirdly, moving on quickly, the gospel will always be radical and often countercultural. <clears throat> Whenever one ma makes mention of the big message of this book, you have to include the discussion it raises and the argument it raises around the Christian response to slavery. A cursory glance at Philemon tells us that slavery is front and center. It is a huge, huge issue. 
Two believers, one a slave and the other a slave master. And not any slave master, the other's slave master. And whilst we don't have time to unpack the aspect of any degree, we really quickly pick up in Paul's writing to, to Philemon that the Christian message, the message that he is writing to them is completely countercultural, and he starts to unpack why slavery is wrong. He is saying to these two guys, your relationship as brothers in Jesus Christ transcends everything else. And throughout the book, throughout the letter, he just slowly dismantles the whole area of slavery. To start to get an insight into this message, we need to know something about slavery in the first century. Although slavery was occasionally practiced in Israel, it was never widespread. And where it was, it was carefully regulated by the Old Testament law. However, this is written to people who are living in Turkey, part of the Roman Empire, and it was widely believed that Philemon was a Greek himself. His name actually is Greek. See, the Roman Empire was built on slave labor, and every time territory was conquered, new slaves were added to the empire. Historians tell us that in the days of Paul, there were far more slaves than there were Roman citizens. There were far more slaves than there were free people. And it wasn't unusual for a rich man, like Philemon, which he was, to have owned something between 10 and 20,000 slaves. So if you think about it, the big picture, Paul is talking to him about his relationship with one out of 10 or 20,000. That is, in itself is an incredible um, tangent to go down. And, and, and slavery was commonplace in, in that day. And through Paul's letter to Philemon, he starts, as I say, to pick at what our reaction as Christians should be to slavery. Slavery in the Roman, in the Roman world, they had, slaves had no protection. They could do whatever they liked with them. They literally could, they were treated worse than animals. A horse was worth more than a slave. They could do whatever they liked with them, and they had very little recourse, if any, to law. And, but coming back to being radical against slavery, Paul's letter to Philemon is a master class in undermining something that is wrong and opposed to the Christian message. But instead of a frontal attack on the cultural perspective or the cultural institution of slavery, he takes a completely different tack and he points to a different way of living. And I want to draw your attention to a website that is really, really good. John Piper, just if you do John, a Google search, John Piper, uh, against slavery. He unpacks this whole area really, really well. And the reason that I just want to quickly highlight this is that Paul points the church away from slavery because it is a system that is incompatible with the gospel, whether slavery is economic, radical, or um, racial, sexual, mild, or brutal. Paul speaks to Philemon and says, you know, as a Christian, we can't live this way. But the thing, I promised myself I wouldn't be controversial, but I just want to throw this out there because I have to mention this. Is, and if you, unpack, if you unpack the whole area around slavery, you will see that although slavery was a reality in those days, we know, now know today that slavery is wrong and we stand against it. However, and this is the really bigger subject, and this is quite the controversial, and I'm just going to make reference to it. I ain't going to go down here tonight. 
But some people would say in the whole area of homosexuality, in the sense of, oh yes, that was accepted in that day, but now today we know better. They were against, uh, they were against slavery, but they didn't really say anything. Yes, Paul does. But people say, oh well, homosexuality in the Bible and in Romans and all that, that was for that day, it's not reality for today. Chalk and cheese. Apples and oranges. But sometimes you will hear people say, well, does the Bible was against slavery? Well, the Bible didn't say much against slavery. The Bible says a lot about some of those things that it doesn't say about homosexuality. I'm not trying to be controversial. I'm just saying it's a big message from a small book that if we really get into, we want to unpack. John Piper, really, really good. Finally, and for me personally, one of the big messages, one of the big challenges that comes out of this book is, what kind of person am I? What kind of person are you? This book, keep calling it a book, it's only a letter, but this letter demands a response from me as a follower of Christ. Here we have Paul, and he has two friends. And on this occasion, there is trouble between them. And regardless of this, he, Paul, knows that they need to do something that is right, biblical, and freedom-giving. They need to sort things out. They need to get their act together, and they need to move in forgiveness. Guys, you need to do this. We don't have the time to unpack any of the surrounding discussions that would be appropriate for, for such a matter or for such question, but I simply want to ask myself probably more than anyone else here. When I get the opportunity to be involved in the lives of other believers or other people, do I encourage them to do what is right rather than say nothing or choose not to get involved? Do I guide and steer people to seek forgiveness or to give forgiveness rather than allow bitterness to set in? Do I introduce calm to a situation rather than add fuel to what could become a blazing fire? Do I resist the temptation to listen and therefore encourage gossip? Or do I say, sorry, but that's not for me? Do I challenge those immortal words, have you heard with, do you know what you're saying is true? Do I encourage the seeking out of truth rather than let presumption replace what is actually the truth? Why would I want to let the truth get in the way of a good story? Do I encourage those around me to listen to both sides of a story rather than listening to one? Do I choose to say nothing at all when I have nothing to say that is kind or constructive? Do I give the benefit of the doubt rather than pronouncing guilt, perhaps not verbally, but within my heart. I don't want to challenge myself over that. I think this is one of the biggest messages from this book. Yeah, slavery is big, forgiveness is big. But for me, 24-7, living here where I do, that's the big one for me. My interaction with those people around me, my conversation, my times of coffee, my times over the meal, my times just walking or doing something. Am I a person that changes situations by seeking the best and what is biblical for people? Not in some sense of you need to do this, but gently, kindly, lovingly resist what is wrong and guide people to do what is right. Paul 
could well have been supported financially by Philemon. We don't know. Paul, could, he could have been a benefactor of Philemon's wealth. Paul, didn't, Paul had a friend. He was in jail. He didn't really need to send Onesimus back. He could have said, guys, you just sort it out. He goes beyond his own comfort to say, guys, you need to talk. And I want to facilitate that. I want to change hearts. I want to change minds. I want to change attitudes here. I'm going to run the risk of you saying, hey, I'm not going to support you anymore. And I think this demands a response from me as a Christian. How do I live my life? Do I encourage people to gossip by listening to it? Do I challenge people with the, the veracity of what they, they know is true or not? And it demands from me as a Christian in the 21st century going into a new year to be that type of person. So the big question is, did, did Philemon forgive and welcome Onesimus? Scripture doesn't tell us. Although commentators point to the fact that uh, the preservation of this book in the New Testament and in the canon of Scripture is a good indicator that he did. The scholars believe that if he hadn't forgiven him and they'd fallen out, well, hey, they wouldn't have put it in. But because it's in, they believe that these two guys sorted it out. And things did really work out well. Onesimus became the bishop of Ephesus. He became a leading light in the church in that area. And ultimately, he was martyred for his faith. So this is not some cheap story about two guys. This guy died for his faith, as did Paul, and he, but he did it from an incredible high position in the, in, in the plans of God. You know, Philemon, a small book, but an incredibly big message. I encourage you to read it. I have so enjoyed doing it. I was saying to Don, I don't think I've enjoyed doing something as much in the sermon-wise for so long. And I just want to encourage you sometimes to take time out just to read some of these small, small books with big, big messages. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.